Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Faisal. Well, it's going to be an interesting uh, uh, rest of the year because uh, we got a very volatile market this mm-hmm. week. Everything going all over the place. The Federal Reserve, the inflation numbers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Canada came out with another 4.7 uh, inflation rate, yep. which is the same as October. Yep. Take out gasoline prices, you're down to 3.6% inflation rate, which is pretty much the same as October as well. So right. the question comes down to is, are we peaking on inflation? Let's talk about that because inflation has been on everybody's mind. Yeah, right. And we've got a good we've got a good show today. I mean, c- certainly inflation will be part of the conversation. Uh, we've, we're going to have a, a terrific recurring guest, Andrew McCreethon, talk a little bit about the year, how it played out, and when sort of things change, what monetary policy changes mean, what does that look like in the future. So, I want you to stick around for that um, because I think he's always um, he's always insightful. And then I think we also want to talk about the uh, our. Um, Let's call it our stocking stuffers for portfolio <laughs> management, right? Yeah. The three don'ts, three things you don't yeah. want to do. Let's not put a lump of coal in the stocking. That's right. We'll, we'll talk about three lumps of coal in your portfolio <laughs> for yeah. your retirement. Yep. I think this is going to be a very challenging 2022. Um, it was a it was a bit of a surprise for 2021 for many, um, but I think we've been spoiled. So we're going to talk about mm. the. The do's and don'ts. More the don'ts. Don'ts. I think yeah. that people learn from better than what you can do because there's a lot more opportunities out yeah. there. Yeah. What you don't do. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so so volatility's back. We've been talking about this for a little bit, and, and volatility's been back for... In fact, I'd say volatility's been around for most of this year uh, in many respects, but it's been, I think, acute in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Right? It's not just the last week or so. We've, we've seen ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And as we talk about where does where does that come from? Where does volatility come from, right? Yeah. Now, there's things we can talk about in today's environment, and we will, but I contend that volatility comes from uncertainty, right? Absolutely. You inject uh, uncertainty or change, and you're going to have volatility in the markets, right? Absolutely. So what are we seeing right now? Yeah, so when you look at, let's <clears> go back <throat> to far as April. Mm-hmm. The first part that caused some of the traders, institutional money managers, technical analysts, uh, they were looking at the lower amount of volume in the market. Right. Less and less trades were happening right. as of April. Now, when you lower the volume, you increase the difference between what a, someone's willing to buy a, uh, an investment for and what another person's willing to sell it for. It's called the bid-ask spread. And we started seeing it widen yep. starting in April. And then we so that's the that's the first signal that volatility is coming. Anybody who's listened to our our show before, or when we talk to our clients on quarterly uh, conference calls, we talked about get ready for more volatility. Right. Right. The the uh, the change also happened with um, the amount of money that went into I call them junk companies. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of companies who had a lot of capital put it, put into it uh, in the first half of the year, and that's starting to to wane off. And then we go into into the uh, Asian crises, primarily what China did, which was the summer. And the other part of uncertainty came in was was the Federal Reserve in mm-hmm. September talking about, yeah, maybe we we'll might start to taper a little bit faster. Yeah, yeah, in response to inflation, and you know, and that raises questions about interest rate paths, right. and yeah. And then let's go down the inflation path even more, and uh, the Federal Reserve said, let's remove the word transitory out of our 
our, our verbiage going forward. Uh, let's just take it off the plate, which goes, okay, hang on. If you're not using the word transitory, then what the heck is it? Is it all permanent? And then you're right. trying to get these big, large spikes in inflation, and people are saying maybe this is the the issue. Now, with that change, the the confidence in the central bank of the United States started to wane as well. Yeah, and that's important. That right? is huge. Yeah. And so we've always heard for the past, call it five, seven years, um, don't fight the Fed. They know what they're doing. And now the market's saying, do you know what you're doing? Right. Are you sure? Because if you mess this up, we're going to get into trouble here. Yep. And so increase uncertainty, increase volatility. Right. And we're starting to see more and more of that. Uh, one comment from the International Energy Association and oil falls mm-hmm. um, just because of a new variant which came out in November that we were detecting um, that said, you know, this could grow as faster, if not the fastest variant amongst all variants when it comes to COVID. Right. You know, uncertainty about what that path looks like, right? right. And what effect it might have on shutdowns. And Government started to do yep. more restrictions, yep. um, changes in travel plans. We saw a 35% cancellation on on applications or websites such as uh, Kayak and Travago. Yep. Um, so the fear is coming up. Yep. When fear comes up, more volatility. That's exactly right. And I think we are we're we're going to have more of that going into 2022. Well, it's going to hang around for a while, right? Um, you, you're right. The, the market's going to question the Fed and the path and um, you know, test the language. They're going to change the language and give some guidance. They're going to have to see if it sticks to it. And we'll see how the market prices that, right? Yeah. The confidence level. Uh, the, the variant itself and any variants to come will create uncertainty. I mean, I, there's, there's, it's a good news and bad news story, right? It sure looks like the early indications are that certainly therapeutics are effective against that. Early indications are vaccine are not as effective. But so again, it's still pretty effective against severe disease, but that has to be tested. That's going to take some time. I'd like our listeners <clears throat> to go back to when the variant first was announced and and what we talked about. And we said for the next four months, we're going to see a volatility, confusion, knee-jerk reactions. Mm-hmm. So far, we're on script. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So far, we're on script. No, I, we're uh, one month in almost. Yeah. And it's, um, and again, it's, it's not, the, the thing that people have to recognize, Faisal, I think we forget is most of the time it's going to be somewhere in the middle, right? So it, it's never going to be, hey, Omicron variant is, well, let's not even worry about it, right? Mm-hmm. I suppose that's possible, but it's highly improbable that it's, you know, just brushed aside. Yeah. Um, it's also highly improbable, although possible, that you would shut down the entire global economy again. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it means that we're, we're, we're not at those extremes, right? It's somewhere in the middle uh, of what the truth is going to be and what it's going to look like, right? Every country that decides to do some sort of restrictions, people start to move towards that extreme level of a global shutdown. Right. Every time a, a government shows some positive results, you don't see the needle moving towards a global reopening as fast. As fast, that's right. So I kind of talk about this as, as you know, you've seen me take take stairs once in a while, right? Like yeah. I, going down the stairs, <laughs> like I normally fall down the stairs, so it's a lot quicker, yeah. right? But yeah. getting back up and climbing those stairs, I'm, I'm a slow poke in that type of stuff. So that's pretty much what's happening. It's easy right. to fall. Right. It's hard to climb right now. Yep. And that becomes a very interesting market landscape when you start to see that it's harder to climb. The recovery rate 
of what we've seen over the last, call it three, four years, not there right now. Yeah, yeah, well, it's the uncertainty for sure. But you know, it, and it's not all negative. It's, it's not all bad news. It's easy to focus on the bad news because the, um, <laughs> I think the headlines are more sensational, yeah. right? To your point. Yeah. But if you think about um, inflation coming from a number of sources, but uh, you know, you talk about the supply chain problems. Mm -hmm. um, they're exacerbated by the fact that we have lots of demand, right? So, it, so it's, what's happening? It, yeah, it's interesting, right? Does that demand? And because I have no life, I look at some things like the Baltic Dry Index, yeah. Dave, and that kind of tells you how how shipments are Shipping, moving. Yeah. It's starting to pick up. Yeah. It's starting to pick up. Toyota announces, hey, we're going to bring out hundreds of thousands of cars next year. Right. How'd they get their supply chain when other companies haven't? Right. Interesting. Right. And some companies are managing better than others. Yeah. Right. And in an inflationary environment, right, you want to make sure, like there are companies and brands that we deal with that are stronger and able to pass along uh, price increases to consumers and maintain profitability. There's mm -hmm. others that can't. Right? So I think, again, it's really important for people not just to go to the extremes. I think the easy money is no longer here. Right. Although it's more than money, we got to talk about money every once in a while, my friend. It does impact the retirement for sure. Yeah. Let me, let me put this out right off the bat. Um, we have a reoccurring guest. Uh, we also have our client's portfolio, a piece of it uh, with him. We've done a lot of due diligence on working with, uh, with our guest on why it fits. It's an alternative investment. Yep. We've been talking about alternatives for a long time. He has a lot more tools at his tool belt than, than the average investor does. And I think this is a, a, good, a good perspective. When you got more tools in your tool belt, you look at the world differently than when you have few tools in your tool belt. Right. And I think it's a good, a good time to review what's happened this year. And then the big I word is coming out, buddy. People yeah. are talking about inflation. Yeah. Let's see how it's going to impact uh, for 2022, especially. Uh, let's get right to it. Okay, Andrew McCreed's joining us, uh, Chief Executive Officer, also the Chief Investment Officer at Forge First Asset Management. Uh, Andrew, welcome back to the show, first of all. Thanks for taking some time with us. Pleasure to be here with you, gents. All right. Uh, I think Faisal did a pretty good job of set setting this up. Um, we're interested uh, maybe to start the conversation with a bit of a review of past year because you've got some very specific thoughts on what role monetary policy played, and that's going to lead into then conversation about what the future looks like. But let's start with, um, with the past year. How, how did you position surprises, opportunities, those kinds of things? Well, thanks very much, David. Well, coming into 2021, uh, the trend in my mind was pretty obvious when it came to the outlook for financial markets, because we were seeing gargantuan amounts of fiscal and monetary policy stimulus, the latter meaning the printing of money, uh, combined with an investment community that remained underinvested in stocks. And so consequently, it struck me and I wrote in my monthly commentary uh, that I publish at the end of the first week of every month for my hedge funds here at Forge First Asset Management that I expected that uh, stimulus and the underinvestment position of investors would cause stocks to reach record highs uh, during the first half of this year, uh, which of course did happen, especially for the S&P 500. But then as 2021 progressed, I suspected that stimulus would gradually begun to get pulled away, that growth would start to decelerate partially as a result of the ending of some of that stimuli, and as consequently stocks may have a bit more of a challenge 
in the back half of 2021. One of the biggest concerns that people have been having, especially in the second half of this year, has been inflation. Mm -hmm. And there has been anecdotally, uh, people have been saying that things are way too expensive or, or cost more, uh, way more than they were before, especially in the food and energy sector, Dave. Um, the, the other part of this is that the concern of you know, different central banks doing different things, and we all focus on the Federal Reserve in the U.S., has a lot of uncertainty happening in the markets, a lot of volatility. Walk us through your concerns, your opportunities, and then what happens in, when you've got more tools in your tool belt, what do you do when you have these types of uncertainty in, in the markets? Well, we certainly monitor all aspects of what's going on in, shall we say, the macro environment, uh, meaning both fundamentals and noise. Um, we're conscious of the noise because we believe we have to be to, to, to be able to discern whether or not the noise is actually going to translate into fundamental change. Uh, but we are buy and hold investors of free cash flow focused companies here at Forge First and our investment discipline means that we always have a diversified short book and we use listed put options to further hedge market risk at all times, both good and bad. So arguably, I'm relatively indifferent to market conditions with the exception of, you know, a huge gain or huge plunge on a given day. But when one looks at the evolution of markets this year, uh, in my opinion, around Labor Day, the bell was rung that we had reached the peak of monetary policy accommodation, meaning the printing of money or the price of money, the price of money being interest rates. Various central banks around the world had begun to increase interest rates. Uh, our head of the central bank here in Canada had started to warn markets that he was thinking about interest rates. Meanwhile, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States was continuing just to think about thinking about hiking interest rates. Because, of course, he was of the view that the inflation we were beginning to see, let alone have now come to see, was just transient. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Chairman Powell, frankly, swept the word transient under the rug. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous how he chose to do it as opposed to fessing up that he was wrong. When one looks at inflation, um, it's pretty widespread right now. The question is whether how much of it is going to be transient and how much of it is going to be permanent. Where is the inflation coming from? Well, you, you pointed out food and energy and you're bang on, Faisal. Um, food prices are going to be substantially higher in 2022 than they are right now and have been for 2021. I've spoken to senior grocery uh, industry executives who have told me they're holding prices over the holiday season, but look out come February and March. Energy prices, I believe, are going to stay quite high. I'm more favorably disposed towards oil than I am gas. Um, but the insidious aspects of inflation have to do with the supply chain, rent, and wages. Um, as a result of the dislocation of supply chains from COVID, there remains a significant uh, dislocation between the supply and the demand for certain aspects along the supply chain that, yes, are impacting energy and food and those things, but there are many others that are not being discussed. I know that from speaking to manufacturers of everything from, you know, swimming pools to, to furniture. Uh, and so I think that 
the supply chain issues are going to be with us for a while. Rent. Well, housing prices have been booming in a lot of parts of North America. Not all parts, but a lot of parts. And the numbers are big. 20, 30% increases year over year in some of these housing prices. That is gradually leaking into renting, rental prices. And rental prices make up roughly 40% of CPI in the States and around 23% of what's called PCE, personal consumption expenditures. And that is the inflation metric that the Fed is more focused on than headline CPI. But bottom line is rent has started to go up and I think rent is going to go up a little bit more. The key, however, when we get past this next, call it nine months of very high inflation, is what happens next. And for inflation to keep uh, at that much higher level than even today, um, we have to see wages go up. Wages have to validate those higher prices. And if employers validate those higher prices with even faster or higher wage hikes, then that gives the consumer more money in their pocket to validate those higher prices. If they have less money in their pocket, they just don't buy stuff. And when supply starts to exceed demand, prices fall. So I would say expect a lot of inflation right here. Um, the key is watch for the wage concessions that employers are going to give employees. Uh, for example, there was a contract last month in Alberta at the Cargill meatpacking uh, meat plant, um, which, you know, good for the workers, but it was a pretty rich contract. And if we see more and more of those, uh, that will be very problematic for inflation and it will absolutely guarantee that the central bank of the United States, the one that matters the most, will be far behind the curve, as they say, Faisal. When we inject uncertainty into the system, into the forward forecast, we invariably get volatility in the markets. And so if we can maybe shift gears just slightly, talking about uh, you know, the, the aspects of inflation or, or, or perhaps the Fed path of interest rate increase, so on and so forth, I'm very interested to get your take on what is 2022 shaping up to look like? What do we have to keep our eyes on as investors? And then how are we, how are we to position that? Again, uh, volatility presents opportunity, but it also certainly scares some people to death. There you go. There's the, there's the, the whole thing thrown right at you. What are you going to do with that mess of questions? Well, thanks for the question, David. And of course, the key to the price of any asset is liquidity. Is there enough money supply floating around the system to cause two, three, four, or 10 investors to want to buy that house or that stock, or there's not enough and there's only one buyer, and therefore the buyer has control of the pricing much more than the seller? Over the last few years, the printing of money by central banks around the world has lifted all asset prices, whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate, right across the board and I think that the ringing of the bell that we had reached the peak of monetary policy accommodation let's say last Labor Day, Labor Day of 2021 meant that we are now gradually moving into a different investment climate. Now earlier this past week uh, investors, you gentlemen will have noticed because I'm well aware of how astute you are as financial advisors for your clients in, in delivering your solutions that are unique to the needs of the individual client. 
I know that since I've had the pleasure of working with you for several years, and I should say getting drilled by you with your insightful <laughs> questions, so I know what you're talking about. I know what I know that you know what you're talking about. But all joking aside, uh, when one looks at what has gone on here, um, last week there were on one day there was 1.6 trillion U.S. dollars of what are referred to as reverse repo agreements, and we don't need to get into the weeds on defining that. But suffice it to say, it is uh, sim symbolic of the fact that there continues to be a lot of liquidity in the system. So financial assets are okay for now, shall we say, but the central banks have told you they're going to start to reduce liquidity. And when there's a reduction in liquidity, there typically is less trading. And when there's less trading, that means the spread between the bid and the ask of any asset increases. Because as I said earlier, what might have been 10 buyers for one asset now shrinks to two or maybe even one buyer. And so the bid ask increases. And when the bid ask spread increases, volatility increases also. Now, um, the idea of whether Faisal's right or you're right, David, um, I must admit, I'm a little more in your camp because what we do for a living is we go out and buy and hold for long-term free cash flowing businesses. We're not fast money trader types, shall we say. Um, my, you know, my big nightmare is waking up one morning and having the market up or down 15% because you can't do anything. You're trapped. Right. Um, right. I think I think 2022 is going to be a year where, especially in the latter part of the year, when the reduction of liquidity begins to have a larger and larger impact, I think markets are going to get a little bit rougher. Um, and whether you know how rough they get, I think is going to be partially a function of whether or not these wage hikes validate higher inflation for longer. And therefore, central banks have to be even more aggressive at reducing liquidity and increasing interest rates. Um, now, let's just say that inflation hangs around long enough that central banks do hike rates, you know, two, three times next year. Um, what does that mean for investors? Well, first and foremost, uh, investors are going to read a lot of material in the popular press that, hey, when the central banks start to increase interest rates, that's good for stocks. Okay, so why has that happened in the past? That's happened in the past because they're coming out of a bottom, the economy's getting better, and they start to increase interest rates. History rhymes, but it doesn't repeat. This cycle is like no, no cycle ever before. One, because of course, 20 years ago, we didn't even know what the word technology meant, let alone technology dominating our society today. Point number two, unprecedented amount of fiscal stimulus, which has left all governments with record amounts of debt. Uh, we all know that in the private sector in Canada, uh, you know, the debt ratio was up to 177% debt to income, I believe the, uh, the, numerator, the numerator is. And when one looks at taxes, taxes, and interest rates are about the lowest they've ever been, and there's only one way going forward. And then last but not least, there's demographics. So this cycle is not like last cycles, and so I would suggest that your listeners um, read those articles uh, that will mostly be written by uh, strategists who work for investment dealers because they're trying to encourage uh, their investors to go out and buy stocks. I would say 
and in, in, with a contrary perspective, this is the time an investor needs active management. They need active advice. The last few years, a rising tide has lifted all boats. We've left that period. That's not going to be the case anymore. You can't buy ETFs and make money. You need active advice. And again, I want to make a pitch for you two guys because you guys, you know your stuff. I've worked with you for years. I know that you look at your clients' needs with a holistic approach. Not all clients are the same. Anyway, enough of the pitch for you guys, right? Bottom line is there's stuff that you want to own and there's stuff that you don't want to own if, in fact, this inflation sticks around for a little while, gentlemen. So, Andrew, let's yeah. kind of touch on that. Let's, yeah. You know, you and I both have strategies on building a shopping list. You are the, in the fortunate position to pick a shopping list of things that you like, free cash flow moving in a positive direction. You also have the opportunity to go against the ones that are not building free cash flow uh, on the shorting side of, of the portfolio. Where's the opportunity for 2022? Where is the risk when you look at the opportunities of all, let's say stock market, North America, let's kind of narrow it down for you. Where's, where do you see the, the, the biggest opportunity at this point? Well, first and foremost, I would say that 2021 was one of the most difficult years during my 35 year investment career of managing a long short portfolio because there was a lot of bad stuff going on, yet with the Federal Reserve continuing to print, 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 you couldn't short a lot of stuff. You had to be long. Now, as the central bankers start to reduce liquidity, I think the markets begin to change. I think there will be growing opportunities to short stocks, as opposed to just being long and hoping markets don't, don't go down. Um, however, when one looks at what to stay away from, I do have a shopping list of what to avoid and what to own. First and foremost, investors have to accept the fact that they're likely going to make less money in 2022 and 2023 and probably 2024 than they've made for the last, in each of the last few years. And consequently, when the return potential is lower, that means you have to focus on risk management that much more. It's one thing losing a percent or two percent when you make 10 or 12. It's another thing to lose one or two percent when you're only making five. So that's point number one. Point number two, um, I think it's important to understand that rising interest rates, um, whether it's because the central banks are reducing liquidity or because they're having to hike interest rates because of inflation, are bad for the valuation of any asset, stocks, bonds, or real estate. So when you look at the price of a stock, of course, it's, you know, what do they earn? And it's a price earnings multiple that you put on each dollar of earnings. That multiple will come down. And so consequently, you need to own companies that have a growth in their earnings and cash flow profile, as opposed to companies that are, you know, hoping a concept, uh, those stocks will continue to get crushed. I also believe uh, fixed income securities that pay a fixed coupon, like a government bond, they will not be good investments either. Um, companies with a lot of financial leverage, um, those companies will tend to do poorly uh, on a relative basis, absolutely, and likely on an absolute basis. So that's what that's what to avoid, uh, and of course implicit in my remarks is expensive stocks. What to own, well, 
I believe you want to own companies that have pricing power. I believe you want to own what you and I know as our GARP stocks, growth at reasonable prices. Um, I would, you know, if I've got a company that trades at 11 times earnings and it's, it's generating eight to 10% earnings growth and it's got a decent balance sheet, um, it ain't, it ain't sexy, but that's the kind of company, that's one type of company that will do well in the environment we're moving into. When it comes to out and out inflation protection, I believe that oil and copper are likely the best ways to hedge inflation. And it ultimately has to do with supply and demand. In my opinion, the supply and demand metrics for oil and copper are both quite constructive, even in today's markets, Fatal. Andrew, that was, that was some great uh, uh, information on the risks, the opportunities, what to, what to watch out for, because yep. I think that, that gives uh, the listeners a, a bit more information. So wanted to thank you for that. We've been joined by Andrew McCreeth, CEO, CIO, Forge First Asset Management. And it's not just the investment piece. That mandates your retirement. There are a whole bunch of other concerns. Take a look at tax. Take a look at healthcare costs yep. going up. There's a whole bunch of things you have to watch out for. Um, let's talk about the Christmas stocking and the chunks of coal, my friend, <laughs> that we don't want to find in the stock in the stocking with respect to uh, to portfolio management. Early Christmas gifts were given out, and normally when you get a Christmas gift, it's something you want. How about we give the Christmas gift that people don't want? Well, I think it's important to talk. We talk a lot about, about structure and discipline, how, what to do. And let's talk a little bit about what not to do. Yes. Well, how, what could screw up a, a retirement? Yeah. What the, the issue in, re in retirement uh, comes down to a few major areas. Um, let's focus on three of them. One of it is income cash flow to sustain the lifestyle that you want. Right. That income, we call it. Yep. Um, but we'll also use the word cash flow. The second issue is we need this money to last our entire lifetime. And in retirement, that could be 35, maybe even 40 years. Yep. So how the heck do you do that? And then the third issue is extra expenses we're not planning for, such as healthcare costs. Right. I believe, and this is my opinion, I'm biased on this. I think that healthcare costs out of pocket, at least, are on the rise. Okay. So if you have these unexpected, extraordinary expenses, you need growth over the long term, and you need cash flow and income, I think we can, we can give a little bit of uh, the Christmas spirit and give some gifts to our, our viewers and listeners about some things not to do. Let's talk about one, the first one, okay. that is going to be controversial because people are going to, we're going to get emails uh -oh. about this. You want to get controversial already? Yeah, we're wow. going to get emails about this. I thought this. it was a good show. Now you want to get controversial. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Okay. I want to talk about dividends as a source of retirement income. Ah, okay. We get that a lot, yeah. right? We have a, an opinion that differs from many yeah. on this. Well, we also have a lot of data. It's not just opinion. No, agreed. A it's structure. a lot of data. The better, the better is structure. Yeah. And, and I can tell you, here's, here's, and I hear this from different industries, like tax experts that come to me and say, you know, this is the best approach. Right. I hear it from, from individuals and people in our own industry that are saying, this is the best approach considering where we are in the landscape. Here's what's happened really quickly. We have this terminology we, we use called financial repression. Interest rates have fallen to all-time all -time lows. So the good old days of just buy GICs and live off the interest is gone. Right. It's gone. So what's the next best thing? Find higher paying distribution. That could be rent out of a rental property. That could be um, interest from a 
high yield bond or mm -hmm. better known as a junk bond, or that could be dividends from company shares. Right. Here are the problems with all those three asset classes when you use it for cash flow. You are taking one big assumption that your cash flow A will never change and the cash flow that you're receiving will always stay the same or go up right. with inflation. Right. So that's a very challenging, challenging approach. Let's focus on the stock market with dividends. Here's my concern. We have seen some huge volatility over the last 20 years. We can go further back if we want to, but let's focus on the last 20 years. 2008 being one big one. <clears throat> some of the best dividend payers, most reliable dividend payers, the share price fell 50, 57%. Mm -hmm. Still paid the same dividend. But the share price fell. Now, so what's the problem? Yeah, so yeah, Still got that, the that's the question I get. So right. what's the problem? Why, why are you giving me ammunition for my argument, Faisal? And I say, what if you need more? These unexpected, extraordinary expenses, we have yet to have a client come to us and, and have, have spent the exact same amount of money for their entire retirement. Right. There's always something that comes up. A car, a home repair, healthcare costs, whatever it may be. Okay, I'll give you that. There's extraordinary expenses. So now you now need what? extraordinary money yep. to come out of your ordinary cash flow. So let's make an easy example. Million dollars you have in your <clears throat> portfolio, 4% yep. dividend if you can get that. You're getting $40,000 a year. Let's say that's enough to meet your cash flow needs. But one year you need 50. Where the heck are you going to get that money from? Hmm. Shares. You have to sell the shares. Right. Now you have less shares for when the dividends are paid out, which means you get less cash flow in the following year. Right. What makes it even worse is what if you have to you need that cash flow when markets are down, like a 2008, a 2015, a 2020 when the, during the pandemic. That's scary. Right. People can generally try to adjust their budgets, but they may not be able to defer for too long. Yeah. And again, that's not the goal. The goal is not to defer. The goal is to insulate against that so that you've got that sort of pensionized uh, payment coming in each month. Right? So I think that, that when you look at the risk that you're taking by relying on dividends, yep. the unintended consequences, a famous word we use in the office, the unintended consequences is a rippling effect that can make you run out of money sooner than you expected and that means a huge lifestyle change at some point in the future. Right. Now, I want to be clear about something. You're not saying that dividends are bad. You're just saying that dividends are risky, are risky from, a, from an income planning perspective. Correct. I believe dividends, interest, and capital gains are part of a total return for the growth of your money. Right. Not for the income of your portfolio, which is that's the problem. I think that's one issue. So, number one, here's the, the stocking stuffer. Do not rely on dividends for your income in retirement. Right. Dividends are still valuable. They're important. It forms a part of the total return in the growth portfolio. Agreed. Let's talk about the number two risk. What would you say, Dave, is the second gift we'd like to give everybody today? Well, uh, I think it is um, the thing to avoid is being overly sensitive to short-term volatility. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that right now. Yep. Right. Um, volatility, in, in my opinion, is part of the systemic risk that you take when you invest. Things go up and they go down yeah. at different times, 
right, in response to different things. I want to jump in so quickly on this one, right, Dave. Okay. I, I, the reason why I want to jump in is because there are there's a place in your portfolio to accept volatility. Right. And there's a place in your portfolio not to accept volatility. In retirement, right? In retirement, the cash flow or income that you need should not have the gyrations of the stock market. Right. But the gyration of the stock market allows you to find investments that are mispriced. Yeah. And 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 just even forget the mispriced for a second. It's just gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It just happens. And so this is that, you know, we talk often about the structure and the discipline. And um, in retirement, we talk every single month at our seminar about how the rules of investing change, right? As you enter this period of time that we just call retirement, but it's got much more complex goals and objectives. And the separation of church and state, income and growth, <laughs> right, becomes really, really very important to make sure that you're not um, making emotional decisions in respect to short-term volatility. Which comes down to the two words we've used for a very long time on the show, structure and discipline. Right. Stick with the structure, stick with the discipline, make sure you have evidence it's proven over time, and that will protect you in retirement. That will uh, uh, avoid the big issues of inflation, tax changes, unexpected expenses, whatever it may be. Yep. The structure and discipline will meet those goals. Right. The third piece, really quickly, I want I want people to 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 uh, look at when it comes to their of what not to do in their retirement portfolios, is have that reaction to what's going on in the market. Hmm. The emotional to your portfolio, but the reaction to your lifestyle. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Because yep. if there are things, and we, this pandemic has opened up a lot of people's eyes. We can't travel. We can't do a lot of things. Last year, we're opening up a bit more. Might get restricted again. Who knows? But if you start to change your lifestyle and the demands for it, either increasing your, your cash flow or whatever, you are changing purely your entire retirement plan, which is okay as long as it's not an emotive decision, it's a well-planned out decision. Agreed. So planning, communication with your retirement team, which comes from financial guys, tax guys, and gals, of course, yeah. and your estate team. Yep. You need to work together. I think you put those three. So do not have emotional reactions to what's happening in the world and use that in your retirement. Right. Focus on what your values are, what's important to you, right. stick to that, yeah. You'll have, a, you'll have a happy retirement. Well, we got to talk about all that, right? Yep. I think we got to give a structure. It's nice to talk about, but let's give a framework of how to actually do that. Yeah, Bulletproof Your Retirement is going to be on Tuesday, January 18th, 7 p.m., live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. All right, well, I want to thank you for tu uh, tuning in for another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. On behalf of Faisal and myself, Dave, we look forward to chatting with you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.